Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, the toaster is off to college. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Pete Wright. Pete and I are both in that wonderful window of having kids heading off to college. Let's just imagine, can you get them to sit down and make a decision on where they'd like to go? Then they get in. How are you going to finance it? And most important for all of us on this show, how will your divorce process impact your ability and ease of financing college for your kids? Joining us this week to help sort this all out, Vicki Volweiler, founder of College Financial Prep and divorced mom herself. Vicki works with clients across the country to sort out these very questions. Vicki, welcome to the toaster. Thank you. So glad to be here today. This is uh, is a big question for both of us, right, Seth? Yeah. Um, and I hope it just ends with, Vicky's going to cover the cost. Vicky's <laughs> <laughs> covering the cost of her own kids. <laughs> yeah, Vicky's uh, take a number, get in line. Get in line. <laughs> look, look, if it's like ice cream, I'll wait. I'll wait my turn. Yeah. Just pay. That's I, right. How, how long, Vicky, do you need to wait for my kid to go to college before you're willing to pay? I can make that happen. <laughs> this is, uh, I, I think this is a, a great and important conversation. And just in, in doing some sort of pre-thinking and asking uh, about through our audience, uh, the things that they are concerned about, uh, I, I wonder if you we could start by setting the stage right now. What is the college financial landscape looking like? How would you describe what's going on in terms of college finance uh, that, that will set the table for this conversation? Um, in general, costs of, college are, costs of colleges are increasing for next year. You know, I, I've seen... What? Yeah. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a number of schools posting their, their increases, but it's also a difficult time because of the pandemic. So, you know, obviously families were hit hard. Those that, you know, lost employment or, or, you know, faced large medical expenses for them. I mean, it can be and not that I not that I'd hope that anybody faces those difficulties, but it's possible for them to save money on the cost of college because of their um, downward turn in their household's finances. You know what I just heard, Pete? This is what I heard yeah. Vicky just say. Seth, tank your business. Right. <laughs> Seth. Get rid of the podcast. Just it's like if you want to pay for college. Right. That's what I just heard her say. Okay, keep going, Vicky. But also (laughs) on the college side, because the kids may not be traveling as far or or, um, you know, going to the schools that they may once have gone. The schools are like businesses, so they may have extra seats to fill. And what certainly happened last year, and it remains to be seen for for this, up, you know, this year's upcoming twelfth graders, the schools were giving out more in merit aid at the very end um, to entice the more kids to come to their schools so that they could fill those seats. Here's how I view colleges, and correct me if I'm wrong. At some levels, they're a business, right? Of course, they have seats to fill, and they would prefer to fill those seats with people who can pay, but they don't get to ask whether you can pay. You don't like on your college application, check the box that, yeah, I'm going to pay full freight. I'm not going to ask for financial aid. Actually, they do ask that. Now, let me just say this. I'm not the typical college advisor. I don't work on applications, 
But yeah, the common app asks if you're going to be applying for financial aid. Yeah, same question. Um, right. So the colleges, you know, th- this is one of the reasons that they look for international students because they're all full pay. Um, the, the schools still need the, the revenue. They're asking us that yes. question. So they got seats to fill and they're asking. Yes. So even with the so. kids that are applying for early decision, if you know what, so early decision is when the kids know, they're absolutely sure they want to attend, you know, school ABC, they're applying early decision, which means they're going to pull all their other applications should they get um, admitted. Right. Yep. It's their number one choice. And if that choice takes them, they're in. Exactly. It. I was early decision. But, go early decision. Well, go early decision as long as you're fully aware of what your prospective net cost will be, because yeah. whatever the school tells you is what you're paying. Right. So it's very difficult. You know, it's supposed to be a binding, uh, binding contract. Um, so, yeah, it's important. Which I got to tell you. And I really hope no college admissions officers are listening to this as my son's going to be applying because that's bullshit. <laughs> it's binding, right? It's binding and you don't know how much you're paying. Right. You really don't know what DP, you're paying. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when I'm working with clients and if finances are a concern, I say, don't even do it. Do early admissions all you want, um, but not early decision. Oh, right. Okay. Those are those are two different things. I don't think I even knew that option when I was going to college. Oh, 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 Mr. Cotta, Mr. Cotta, I know. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, counselor. Okay. Uh, Early decision is you apply. If they accept you, you go. You have to get rid of all your other applications. Right. Yes. It's that bonding contract. Early action is you apply and you're basically saying, hey, I really want to take you to the prom. Will you say yes? If you do, I may or may not ex- go to the prom with right. you. Early action means you can submit your applications by an early deadline. You find out if you're admitted earlier than with regular decision. Was this Is this kind of a new bifurcation of that process? Because I don't even remember that being an option. I just knew you could apply early if you really want to go someplace and you're signaling that you're going to go there. Now there's even early decision one and early decision two. So say you didn't get into your first choice, you can apply to your second choice in early decision two and commit to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like you saw all the movies with, um, uh, oh, Pete, you're the movie guy with the, the Robin, the casinos. Ocean's Eleven. There you the go. Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. And the, yeah, and they're like, wait a minute. What do you mean there's a soft opening then an opening? Yes. In, the, in my day, they they were closed one day, and then they were open, open the, the next, next day. <laughs> yeah. right. This is what I'm feeling. I've okay. never felt more old than right now in this conversation <laughs> yeah. with you two. Exactly. Early decision, early okay. action. But we're not here no. to talk about getting into college. We're assuming you're getting into college. We're talking about how do you pay for it. So first off, I know there's this thing called FAFSA. Right, FAFSA. So, uh, right, FAFSA. Right. Um, so all FAFSA is, is a financial aid form that gets filled out. Um, typically, it opens in October. You fill it out sometime October, November, December. College Financial Prep helps people complete those. Okay, so it's free application for federal student aid. Yes. I get a little weary when I see the word free at the beginning of something. <laughs> is it really free? Yes, anybody can fill it out. Okay, so they're just saying, hey, here's a form. It's free to fill yeah, out. Right. Free, Got um, it. Yeah. And, and everybody should complete the form. Whether or not they think that, you know, some families think, oh, we earn too much money. Why should I bother? It still makes sense for everyone to bother. So the reason being, a household can earn 
a million dollars, um, but you know maybe they spend a million plus and they need to take out student loans. To get the lowest interest student loans, you have to complete the FAFSA form. Um, gotcha. I mean, okay. that's that one of the sense. reasons, but you fill yeah. it out for need-based aid. You fill it out if um, a child wants to apply for work-study programs. Yeah. And also, it's kind of like an insurance product, perhaps. Um, you know, heaven forbid something happens and, you know, a parent gets run over by a bus. You know, there's a huge change and something happens in the family. If it's on file with the school, you can go back to the school and say, you know, we've had this change. Can we, you know, reconsider FAFSA? And it's there. So how does the FAFSA or the, you know, the robot overlords that actually automate the, the response to the FAFSA, how does the FAFSA, FAFSA consider divorce? In the main right now, typically it's the custodial parent who completes the FAFSA application. If the custodial parent is remarried, it considers the custodial parent and the, the step parent. Um, so it's even if the step parent has no intentions of contributing a dime towards the child's education. Okay, so I've got, I, hold on, I've got some hypotheticals here. Let's keep it simple first. Divorced, custodial parent. I could spend days on what that means, Pete, yeah, but let's just say residential, custodial parent. Residential custodial. I could argue what that word means. You're talking to a lawyer, Vicky. Come on now. Okay, if it's a 50-50 joint split, there are 365 days in a year. Where do they spend 183 days? And if it truly is 50-50, which parent earns more? Okay, Okay. there's the question. She got there for me, Pete. And I was going to, she was talking my language on 182 days, 0.5. I love it. You know, okay. So that's the question. If there's 50-50 timesharing, we're not going to argue over where's the extra day spent. The, the, what the government is looking at, these forms are looking at, these colleges are looking at is which parent earns more. Is that if correct? it's a true 50-50. I gotcha. Now, one parent is, it's not a true 50-50. One parent has 60, the other has 40. Now we're looking at the parent that has 60. Does the government care at all what the 40% parent makes for money. The government doesn't. However, some schools require what's called the CSS profile in addition to FAFSA. And those schools, some of them do care. So not only then might you have to report the income and assets for parent one and their new spouse, but also parent No, 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 no. You're throwing me off on it. Forget about parent Forget about new spouses. I just want to deal with 60% parent, 40% parent. I'm just going to make it easier. Mom has 60%, dad has 40%. Mom has to fill out the form. Some colleges are going to say- I, For FAFSA, right. FAFSA. if that school also wants the CSS profile, then you need to start considering both parents. So something that I do- Hold on. Here's my question before we get there. I'm, I, I, I know I'm talking fast like a lawyer. What happens when dad, 40% says- I'm not giving you any of my info. Well, okay. So here's what happens. If they're going, depending on the school that they're applying to, and and seriously, this is what I do with separated parents and divorced parents, because this always comes up. Um, We'll do strategic planning to determine what schools to apply to based on if you have a situation like that where the other parent refuses to participate. 
That's really interesting. And, and I just stumbled on Harvard's financial aid. Let's just say you're shooting for Harvard. Harvard's financial aid policy says, says this. We feel strongly that both parents have an obligation to support you and a divorce or separation does not change that obligation. So let me tell you a story um, from I'm not going to name schools, but a school in Philadelphia um, we were talking about that required the CSS profile. and. The parent came to me, seriously, a thick, thick binder of court documents as to why the child does not have a relationship with the other parent. I mean, it was awful, the stuff that I was hearing. from It was awful. And the school said, tough, we want the other one's financial information. Pete always tells me, because being a lawyer, I always like when I have my closing argument, which I call the takeaways, right? Pete's like, we don't need takeaways. People listen to the show. So- but this, I think, Pete, a deserves a takeaway, take okay? When you're applying to colleges, if you need to look, if you're going to be applying for aid, to see whether those colleges require both parents to buy, provide their financial information, because if they do and one parent does not provide it, that's going to hurt you when it comes to the financial aid game. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. It'll hurt the child. It it it, it creates uh, it's such an awful dynamic. You know, you have the emotions, the finances, it's awful for everyone involved. Right. And ultimately, if someone just doesn't provide it, you just might not get financial aid because the the school might say, "Look, we didn't get the information that's required." Correct. You're still accepted. You can pay full freight. Vicky will pay for your kid like in, you know, 2089 yeah. after she pays for all the other kids on her list. She's got a long dance but, card. Yeah, long, long, long. Okay. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, approximately 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. This is an alarming statistic as a family law professional who deals with custody cases regularly. Finding the balance between the child's safety and helping the child maintain a relationship with both parents is one of the hardest things to navigate. Add in the he said, she said phenomenon that happens with divorcing couples who often weaponize alcohol use against one another, and the situation is even more difficult. All of this is why Soberlink has been one of the most important tools for my clients dealing with these issues. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind regarding the child's safety. Soberlink helps keep the focus on the best interest of the child, which is really the most important part in a divorce case dealing with children. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create a parenting plan guide to help people going through divorce that involves alcohol in children. And you can download it today at soberlink.com slash toaster. And if you take a look and you think you're ready to order Soberlink, just mention how to split a toaster for $50 off their device price. Our thanks to Soberlink for sponsoring How to Split a Toaster. I think, Vicky, I keep cutting you off and I do apologize. You've been talking about, hey, they consider the divorce couple, and then the new spouses. So that could be four incomes. If you have four incomes, are you going to price yourself out of financial aid? It depends on how much each of those households earn. You know, sometimes people will say to me incorrectly, um, oh, you know, 
you're, and I'm just saying you're, but you know, it, it, it pertains to anybody that's divorced. Oh, you're divorced. Oh, so you're going to get a ton of financial aid. Well, no, it has nothing to do with being divorced. It has to do with how much that household earns, the income of that household. I mean, basic numbers, one person can earn $100,000 or two people can each earn $50,000. And both of those households may be entitled to the same amount of financial aid, depending on you know everything else that's in their application. So I have a question on that too, because you're talking now about, hey, what are your incomes? Do the schools look at your expenses? In the main, no. Um, if you choose to live in a, I, I live in you know New York on Long Island. If you choose to live in a high tax area, that that was my decision. You know, I can move someplace that costs a lot less. So no, they don't consider the amount of credit card debt somebody has. They they don't they don't unfortunately consider that. Um, if somebody has extraordinary medical expenses, that may be considered. But if, but if somebody decides to go out and buy a Bentley, they did that on their own. Well, now you got me thinking, pay for the kid's college or buy a Bentley. <laughs> Why did she plant that seed set? She doesn't know you well enough yet to know that that kind of baiting doesn't work. Yeah. Like, and now I'm thinking color, convertible. Yeah, right. Well, the I love good it news when the is you have less assets to show on your financial aid application. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. But don't I have to show the Bentley as an asset or I just get to say I have a vehicle? Well, okay. You want to laugh. It's not even a laugh. On the CSS profile, there there are questions about the cars that you drive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It gets detailed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're, they're pulling apart the bloomin' onion that is your financial situation, your financial and family situation. And I do see, I think now, that it's not just one person, one family making $100,000 or two making fifty, but now it's two potentially with four total wage earners, right, in the house. So you could be making more money or you could be not. It could be just um, applying to the right schools and potentially just showing one income depending on how, you know, planning who's the custodial parent, planning on, you know, what the assets are, you know, it, it, it could work. Well, and that, Vicky, was my was my question, or, or, or original question, which was like, how do kids go about rationalizing the parent that they list as their, quote, FAFSA parent? And it sounds like it's a very complicated, it could be a very complicated calculus. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, here, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a true story that I didn't get involved with. Um, there was, I'm using the term loosely, a couple that came to me. Um, they said that they were divorced. Um, one of them said that they lived on Long Island. The other one said that they lived in the city. Um, but yet the kids attended school on Long Island. And they were saying that the one that lived in the city was the custodial parent. Nothing was adding up. Um, and then I said, oh, are you remarried? And it turned out the person was still wearing wedding rings. And she you know, said, no, it, it, none of it made sense. Um, everything has to, to fit. I mean, the schools are going to be looking at this, too. Well, I don't even understand what kind of fraud they're trying to perpetrate there. Right, right. Trust me, I want to help everyone save as yeah. much as they can save. And it takes it takes planning to do it. Here's the problem, Vicki. And I. I empathize with what you have to deal with on a daily basis because I can only imagine the stress of kids, college, pain with parents that aren't planning or are divorced also because you're asking them to plan and we can't get these people to plan a dinner together, Yeah. right? So I think 
you you keep mentioning this, which I don't want this point to slip away. You say you can look at schools to see what they require. Where do you find that information? You find it on the school's websites. Okay. And you go to financial aid and somehow you keep clicking and digging into the ethos of it all. And you come out with a little line somewhere in a footnote that says, we only require one parent's financial information. Well, it doesn't quite say it like that. <laughs> it doesn't that. quite say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. that, was, that was the footnote in my head. Thinking that, you know, Kai's mom is the custodial parent and I'm getting a Bentley. That's what (laughs) it was going through the head right there. So, well, okay. I, I, this gets to the brunt of our uh, legal podcast here, which is working in the divorce process with or as an attorney with an eye toward future college financial planning. What can the, your attorney do to help you set up your own planning efforts for success later? A lot of the problems that I run into is that some states don't require college for the kids and there's no way to to enforce that. Bingo. I was about to say, check your local jurisdiction. In the great state of Florida, a parent in a divorce or otherwise is not required to pay for their adult child's college or any child's college education. So what happens a lot is one parent will say, I want the other parent to pay all or a portion of college. And let's just say, I want each of us to pay 50-50. They're splitting it right down the middle. So we're not going to get into a fairness argument, okay? They come to me, the lawyer, they say, my spouse wants me to pay 50-50 of college. I say the court will not order you to do that because the court doesn't have the power to order you to do that. And he's like, well, I'm going to pay it anyway. What's the problem? I said, well... The problem is you think you're going to pay it. We all tell our kids we'll help pay for college, but we have a lot of assumptions there. God forbid, like Vicky said, we don't get hit by a bus or we become disabled or something happens in our business and we lose money and we can no longer afford it. So we never tell our kids, you know, I'm going to pay for college as long as I can afford it. Right. We're going to say, I'm going to help you pay. And everyone has different conversations with their kids about that. And there's no judgment. But when the kid is 10 years old, you're having a very different conversation than when the kid is like 18 and ready to go. Exactly. When they come to me, I got to say, I I tell them, I'm not going to get in your way, but I know Pete, you're not going to like this. I'm advising you not to do that because you're now contractually obligating yourself that will not happen in court. And I'm worried about what might happen afterwards. And then what the other side says is, well, he's going to do it. If he's going to do it, what's the problem putting in the contract? And there's yeah, the rub. that's the rub. Right. So Vicky's 100% correct. Not every jurisdiction is the same. So I live in New York, and New York does require college to be in the stipulations. Um, and our, our public school system is SUNY, State University of New York. So they call it a SUNY standard where... The parents are obligated to pay up to this SUNY standard that New York believe. if I'm saying this correctly, um, that New York believed that the students, the, the children, um, were put at a disadvantage and were not going to college as often as students from an intact household. And therefore, they were going to require um, college to be you know, included within the divorce agreements. Vicky, this is really, um, this is really good stuff. Makes my head what? hurt a little bit. Seth. Does, it, does it make 
I know you probably don't oh, because thought, your head hurts all the time. Yeah, but. it's like the default. I'm a- <laughs> it's like Monday. <laughs> see, see, and I love this stuff because, you know, you, you, you want to do right by the kids. You want to do right by the parents. You want to help yeah. them save money. You, I, I hate the thought of when people take out, you know, massive student loans. And really, it's the parents that are taking out the massive student loans. Yeah. And then that hurts them further in their retirement. And just I, I, I'm such a big proponent of planning early. Well, we, you know, we, we actually have a uh, kind of a jump ball question that came in from a uh, listener who's, who asked, is there any consideration for biological parents who never married versus married parents who are divorced in college financial planning? It depends. You know, if they if the biological parents live together, it's treated like a married couple. Okay. That, like Pete saw I my know. eyes and smiled because Vicky gave the lawyer it answer. Depends. It depends. Yeah, right. I love that. She's, she's really, she's found her, she's right at home is the thing. She's found a home here. Okay. They consider that, say that again, they consider if they're married together. It depends on if those parents are living in the same household or in different okay. households. And then otherwise it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, if, if they're in different households, it doesn't matter. You know, like matter. people can be separated. And I mean, there's yeah. some rules around separation too. But they can be separated and not divorce and still benefit, if you will, um, from being a one parent household. If that, you know, with the custodial parent. Mm-hmm. Every school <laughs> is will look at this potentially different. <laughs> yes. Right. So if you're concerned about these issues, you really got to get on those websites and figure out what the school will require for the, from the financial aid perspective on whether each parent has to give their information and contribute. And that can just be part of the checklist of when you're working with your kid of things you check out. Hey, do you want a big school, small school, geographical location, how far away from home, leave the state, stay in private school, public school, and how do they handle financial aid? The the other thing that people should know is that, I, I mean, people divorce all times, you know, whether the kids are young or the kids are older. So say somebody separates or divorces while the kids are in college, there's still the potential for savings once they're even already in school. So it's important for people to be aware of that also. That's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's so much into the into this, and I know we could talk about it all day, but this has been, I hope, a good primer for people. And thank you, for listener, for submitting that question. That is uh, very helpful and interesting. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, Vicky, for hanging out with us and giving us this uh, this breakneck pace of a of a primer on college financial planning and and divorce. Where can people find out more about you? www.collegefinancialprep.com and if anybody has any questions yeah if anybody has any questions feel free to reach out i'm always doing uh you know quick little phone calls for people and see you know how we can work together you can find our collegefinancialprep.com link in the show notes this is vicky volweiler thank you so much vicky you're uh you're fantastic appreciate you (laughs) thank you so glad to be here today and uh thank you seth nelson did you learn something today do you feel better about i did things I did. I learned that I'm giving Kai away. Yep. yep. First and I'm first. going shopping for going shopping for a car. Oh, Bentley. Yeah. You know? Shout out from I'm doing convertible. Ben- Bentley of, through my Bentley hair. Of <laughs> <laughs> Don't think we have one of those. <laughs> Thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate you. On behalf of Vicky Volweiler and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney. I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you right back here next week on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. 
Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.